Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time, I want to talk about three myths regarding code of conduct and code of conduct development. It's been a couple of months since I did a podcast about uh, code of conduct. As you all know, I love code of conduct. I do a lot of webinars and uh, talks on code of conduct. I have code of conduct on the brain. It's probably some sort of uh, mental illness, but I do spend a lot of time uh, working on codes, thinking about codes, uh, working uh, with people on trying to improve and make their codes more effective. So I've, I've spent some time thinking about this. And there are more than three myths, but there are three things that I'm going to talk about today that I come, ac- come across quite a bit uh, that I have to disabuse or I try to disabuse people of. Uh, I have pretty strong feelings about uh, these items. And I think it's important um, if you are contemplating at all updating your code of conduct or working on a code of conduct project, uh, these are a couple of items that you might want to think about. Uh, the first one is length. Uh, this is one that comes up quite frequently. Uh, the, the standards or the benchmark, if you will, has certainly changed over the years, and it has not gone up. Uh, sorry, lawyers, it has not gone up. Uh, the expectation these days is that a code is going to be under 10,000 words for the most part. Uh, there are certainly exceptions. There are great codes of conduct that I've uh, read. Uh, and worked on that are 12,000 plus words. And there are uh, wonderful codes I've worked on that are five to 6,000 words. Uh, so there's a, there's a vast range. One size definitely doesn't fit all. So I don't mean to say uh, that you can't have a 10,000 word code of conduct, but the trend is that the overall length is shrinking. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about why that is and how uh, potentially you can uh, do some different things to, to help shrink your code. Uh, but, but I want to bust the myth that it has to be long, that it has to be, uh, 10, 12,000 words. We're in a highly regulated industry, Eric. We can't, uh, not talk about these things. We can't have a code that is six or seven or 8,000 words. It will not work for us. Well, I, I'm sorry. I, I, that is just not been, that has not been my experience. Uh, you know, I've worked with clients in highly regulated spaces, in finance, in healthcare, in pharma, uh, that have done just perfectly well with 8,000 word codes. And uh, codes can range pretty significantly from, uh, you know, companies that are in roughly the same uh, uh, industry and have roughly the same risks. I've seen uh, organizations with codes that were pushing 20,000 words and those uh, competitors or, or peer organizations with codes that were more like 7,500 or 8,000 words. They're covering the same topics, they're just covering them very differently. Uh, one of the things that they do is they don't let the lawyers write it, or if they let the lawyers write it, then they have editors <laughs> that come in after the lawyers and edit it uh, so that an average a regular person, uh, an employee, a stakeholder that you want to be able to understand your code and have the code be accessible to them, uh, can 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 read it, can understand it, can can digest it in a in one setting in a reasonable amount of time. 
uh, you'd be surprised the number of redundancies, unnecessary language, convoluted language you can pull out of a code of conduct without removing any meaning whatsoever. And I, I mean that. Uh, I give you a, a, a very concrete example. I worked with a client. Uh, this is about 18 months ago. They had a 25,000 word code, 25,000 words. We did not remove a single topic, not one. All the topics that were in the 25,000 word code remained in the final code, which was about 9,500 words. So that's more than 50%. Uh, I, I'm not going to do the math on that, but it's a lot. And it did not require removing a single risk topic. It required removing a lot of redundancies. It required removing a lot of collateral language that was not necessary to uh, provide the uh, uh, synopsis of what the risk was and what the expectations were for the individual employees and other stakeholders. It can be done. And, and you should do it. If you have a code that's 15,000 words or more, that is, I, I'm comfortable saying that's too long. I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care what risks you face. That's too long. Uh, if you're talking between 10 and 12,000 words, there's probably something you can do to edit that down. You can probably make it shorter. And you can probably do so without losing any meaning. Um, one thing that uh, you often get pushed back in this regard, again, from the lawyers, more often than not, is they don't want to take out the, uh, the intricate legislative history of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act that they have inserted into the anti-corruption or anti-bribery section of the Code of Conduct. Well, that's just not necessary. That's just not, it's not necessary to mention the Foreign Corrupt Bribery Act. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, <laughs> or the Foreign Corrupt Bribery Act I just made up, uh, or the UK Bribery Act, or the uh, uh, Clean Companies Act from Brazil, or anything. You don't need to mention any of that. You, what you need to talk to are the expectations of the organization around uh, bribery and corruption. And the fact that there are laws out there that have severe penalties, well, that's one sentence. The rest of that is unnecessary. And there's a lot of unnecessary verbiage in a lot of code of conduct, uh, uh, code of conducts that I've seen uh, over the years. Um, if that material absolutely necessarily has to live, cannot die, put it in the standalone anti-corruption, anti-bribery policy, and then cross-reference out from your code of conduct that has two solid paragraphs about uh, corruption to the multiple page um, anti-corruption policy in case somebody wants to go uh, see all the hard work that the lawyer did uh, doing the legislative history of the Foreign, uh, of the foreign Corrupt Practices Act. It, it's just not necessary. And we really need to do our best uh, to shorten the length of codes wherever you can. There's nothing wrong with having a 5,000 word code of conduct. Nothing wrong with it. Um, maybe for some organizations you can't get there but you should try. And, and that is the first myth I want to talk about is that your code has to be 15,000 words long. It does not need to be 15,000 words long. Second code of conduct myth is we can't have a global code. There's just too many uh, differences between our operations. You know, we have operations in the EU and they have different rules about privacy and they, 
You know, some jurisdictions, although this is changing and it's not as true as it was before, some jurisdictions won't allow certain types of anonymous reporting. And no, you can you can make it work. You also don't need a, a code for your senior financial officers, the SOX code. That can go away. The SOX uh, requirements can be reduced to a couple of sentences and a paragraph um, in, in within the code. You don't need a separate SOX code. You don't need a separate code for officers and directors and everybody and, a, and another code for everybody else. You don't need a regional code. You can have a global code of conduct and there are going to be differences, but that's what's great about cross-references. That's what's great about having standalone policies that apply maybe in certain jurisdictions, but don't apply in others or having you know variable uh, HR policies uh, depending on where in the world your employee is operating. But that doesn't stop you from having a global conduct, a code of conduct, and you should do your level best to have a global code of conduct. It's really important that we all be working off the same page, both literally, literally and figuratively. And uh, having a global code of conduct is really key to that. You shouldn't uh, have multiple codes, and there, there, there are real... Um, there are real uh, optics reasons for that. Everybody is bound by the same code of conduct. That's a powerful message from the chairman of the board of directors down to uh, our partners and agents that uh, have to sign on to the code uh, to everybody in between. That's a, that's a powerful message. But then there's also a really good practical reason. If you only have one of one code of conduct, then you only have to update one code of conduct, and you potentially and you don't potentially have two different codes of conduct that have two different standards that are in conflict with each other. That is a practical problem that you eliminate by having one code. You don't need multiple codes. You can have a global code of conduct. And the third myth I want to talk about is more of a, a a process myth, a practical myth, uh, and that's, and this is again, I, you know, I like beating up on the lawyers on this podcast. Uh, this is also a myth often born from um, uh, overambitious uh, attorneys who uh, believe that updating the code of conduct is a project they can take on uh, when they have a few spare minutes here and there during their lunch hour uh, on that long weekend when they plan to work anyway. Uh, it's it's not going to take long. We'll we'll just update this code of conduct. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster. I've talked about, and you can go back and look through um, many of the podcasts where I talk about practical ways uh, to go about uh, putting together a code of conduct project, and we'll talk more about it in the future too. So I'm not going to spend too much time talking about uh, uh, project management, but really it does come down to project management. And you, and by you I mean the, the lawyer that wears five different hats at the organization, including chief compliance officer, you do not have time to revise your code of conduct and have an effective product at the end. You can do it, but it's not going to be a best practices code of conduct. It's just not, unless you just happen to have a lot of free time, <laughs> because it's a full-time project to update and revise a code of conduct, redesign a code of conduct, translate a code of conduct, and product and project management, project manage all those different moving pieces. And I know because it's a project that I undertake day in, day out for my clients. It is not something you can part-time. Um, you might think you can, 
and you probably can force something through doing that, doing it, doing it that way. Um, but it's not going to be a product that you'll be proud of, or that will be fit for purpose. It's not, it's a, if you've now, you don't necessarily have to hire me or some outsider to come help you do this if you have resources internally, but you need to have all of those different resources. You need to have the subject matter experts to help you make sure that the content is accurate and up to date. You have to have uh, graphic designers or others in the comms department or in the marketing department that have time to make it look good and make it appealing to your audience. You have to have the resources to translate it uh, if you need to translate it into multiple languages. And you need a project manager that can undertake the project and juggle those uh, various dishes in the air and make sure that the project goes smoothly and that everything comes together. It's, uh, it's a project management exercise as much as it is anything else. Um, if you're going to get a, a code that looks like uh, a Hershey's code of conduct or, or one of these other codes that people really gravitate to and like, those things weren't done uh, on lunch hours. Those things weren't done uh, on a long weekend. Those codes, those projects took weeks and months and took a lot of effort from a lot of different people, from a team of people to get it done. And so I, if you think uh, that this is something you can undertake and, and, and uh, whip off uh, in your spare time, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying the product that you're going to have at the end of that exercise is not best practice. So uh, have some consideration for what kind of resources you have internally and what you don't. And, and you don't necessarily have to uh, farm out the entire endeavor uh, to a third party. Maybe you just need to bring somebody in to uh, uh, take your draft and redline it and copy edit it and make it sound like a normal human wrote it and uh, get it back to you. And then you have maybe have internal design resources. Figure out what parts of the process uh, you can't do or you shouldn't be doing. Uh, including project management, and and see what you need to farm out and see what you can find internally. You might be surprised at the resources you might be able to find internally. I know lots of my clients uh, only uh, come to me to do one uh, puzzle, and they have a lot of internal resources that at the beginning of the uh, adventure they didn't even know they had. So those are three things, three kind of broad myths that I run into quite a bit with regards to code of conduct uh, development, code of code of conduct, uh, uh, drafting and designing. Uh, it's really important that you uh, consider uh, what the content's going to be, the length, uh, what's appropriate. Um, make sure that you only have one code that applies to all, uh, one code to rule them all. Um, and make sure that you put in the resources that are necessary to have a successful project. And maybe that means that you have to uh, look for resources outside your own, uh, your own department and your own organization. Uh, there's no shame in that. When you get the final product that works, uh, that's, that's worth the time and trouble. Um, so thanks again. Uh, we'll be back at you in a week or so and uh, updating on new trends and topics. As always, if you've got some ideas you want us to talk about a particular topic or you have any questions for us, anything that we've talked about on the podcast, you can reach us at compliancebeat.com, moreheadconsulting.com, or you can email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. I certainly love to hear from the listeners 
And uh, until next time, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.